0: This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art.
1: Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Steven Caradini. This is Season 4, Episode 8, and today we're going to talk about ghost, international commerce, censorship, and business tourism.
0: We were going to have this as Episode 4.07, instead of the one that you heard last week as 4.07. And we recorded it, and we got halfway through it and then we got all the way through it and then we thought hmm this is a bunch of kind of speculation about what ghost is doing because blogging company ghost said we're relocating to singapore and you'll hear a bit more about that in a minute because steven said i wonder if we could just Just, talk to them
1: i mean we're kind of speculating and we're kind of introducing news ish type things so my journalistic like
0: journalism my journalistic
1: ethics kicked in because i have a journalism degree and so (laughs) we put together an email and we sent it off and then john annola was like yeah i'd love to be on the show we're like oh That was easy.
0: (laughs) So we had John O'Nolan on the show to talk about Ghost and this blogging platform and how it intersects with questions about censorship and business tourism and international commerce and, you know, all the things we've been talking about all season so far.
1: Yeah. There's really not much we have to say other than that, except that John O'Nolan is half of the founders of Ghost, which is a small distributed multinational transnational nonprofit organization that is essentially a blogging platform that is specifically interested in creating tools that work for bloggers as opposed to being a fully fledged content management system or being an arm of a large technology corporation or anything like that they said hey let's make tools that work for bloggers and that's why chris and i have been interested in following them for a long time and that's why we were interested when they said hey we're moving to singapore and without further ado here's john O'Nolan to talk about that welcome to the show john thanks for joining us yes thanks for joining us we're really excited to have you on My
2: pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: So we, rather than just summarizing the blog post you wrote about Ghost moving to Singapore, figured we'd give you a chance to summarize briefly a little bit of background, where you were before, why, where you've moved to, and... A little bit of the reasoning behind that will direct our listeners to the blog post itself, but kind of give a little setup because most of them probably won 't have read the blog post ahead of
2: time sure yeah that 's no problem. Um, so I run a, a company called Ghost, which is uh, an independent publishing platform, and we kind of started out by with Kickstarter, a big crowdfunding campaign, uh, so we've mm-hmm. always had this really big active community. Um, So we tend to be very transparent about all the decisions we make. The company is also a non-profit organization, so there's even more reason for that. And when we initially started out on this whole adventure, we weren't really sure where to set up the company, uh, (laughs) but I'm English, as you might have noticed, and uh, (laughs) the co-founder Hannah is also English. And while I'm not in the UK, I I kind of travel around a fair amount. Um, Hannah is. uh, So the easiest option just seemed to be to file an online incorporation in the UK, and, and that was that. So we set up just on those on that premise really without much forethought and over time and what this post kind of talks about we started to question whether that had been a sensible decision Mm. and a lot of that was simply difficulty doing business in the uk um some of it as a result of new laws that have come in over the last couple of years that have been very very difficult to work with Um, Uh And some of it just as a result of kind of general feeling and and wondering, could we be doing better somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Um, And after a lot of a lot of looking around, uh, a lot of research, a lot of soul searching, uh, a lot of figuring out details, um, we eventually settled on Singapore as a better place for us to be as a business. And the post was our announcement uh, about how we're going to move the company there.
0: Cool. What's the timeline look like for you guys?
2: uh from right now so it is i think it's march 1st now yeah much first. yes we're yes probably, for you it is <laughs> oh yeah i'm sorry i'm in the future the way, the,
0: is it more awesome there
2: yeah it's amazing you're gonna love it <laughs> so i'd say a couple of months a couple of months is probably the timeline right now so our incorporation is all pretty much done um and we're now just figuring out how to organize everything in terms of actually getting the move done.
0: So you decided to move from the UK to Singapore and you've kind of given us a bit of that initial thought process. What did researching where you might incorporate to look like and how did you settle on Singapore?
2: Yeah. What it looked like, I would summarize as impossible and impossible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The majority of information that exists on the web about incorporating in a country that is not of your citizenship or your residence um, is either non-existent because that information is in a lockdown that's held onto by a couple of corporate international Mm. accountants who optimize cash flow for billionaires and they don't talk about anything they do ever because they're exploiting all kinds of loopholes Um, and if anyone were to know about those loopholes they might get closed so it's a very very tight-lipped little community that Mm. does everything properly Um, but only for very, very wealthy individuals. So none of that information exists. The information which does exist is, for want of a better phrase, largely penned by conspiracy theorists who (laughs) are very into the idea of hiding your identity in various countries around the world. And it's all very... Questionable in terms of how well researched it is and how much it's based in fact things they say about where you should go and what you should do and why you should um get seven passports and use all of them <laughs> so very, very difficult is what the research process was um okay. so that's i would say the biggest reason it took us about a year to kind of go through all oh, wow. the different positions and talk to smart people uh, who we know who've come from US startups and uh, done something abroad from incubators in South America uh, to people like Derek Sivers who started CD Baby and then later moved to Singapore. Mm, mm -hmm. And the reason we eventually settled on Singapore was that it encompassed our solutions to our biggest problems, which was the use of Stripe as a payment processor, which is basically what our entire business operates on top of, Mm -hmm. along with the ability to incorporate there without living there, which was quite key. And, the ability to do business really easily and by really easily i mean minor uh, as in easy to comply with reporting requirements uh, and sensible kind of taxation and accounting hmm. that's just viable for a small business to do without needing a cfo and a team of the 12 accountants that we don't have
0: <laughs> right right the small non-profit thing mm-hmm. exactly
1: So when you were doing that research and thinking about various places, did you consider the uh, freedom of speech concerns that Singapore has? There are some issues that they have had in both the recent and the farther back past um, regarding freedom of speech, particularly freedom of speech online.
2: Yeah, that's completely true. They've had a couple of very high-profile cases in the last, uh, I think, 24 months or 18 months in particular Mm -hmm. where they've been problems with bloggers in particular uh, criticizing the government. And Mm -hmm. I think what you have to understand about Singapore is really what you have to understand about every other country. And I say this uh, fully under the understanding that I'm an outsider who can't really fully understand their culture myself, Uh but from what I have been able to learn, being independent for only 50 years, so Singapore has been independent since 1965, they have come together as a multicultural society which is populated by local Singaporeans, Malaysians and Chinese people of of those descents, and have a very strong historical focus on trying to maintain harmony between that diverse of a society and the ways in which they've done that, some of which have been incredibly effective, others of which we from other countries don't agree with whatsoever. But it's based on that history that they have from where they came from to where they are now that Mm -hmm. these kind of issues stem from. So the question for me is less about what issues do they have now and more about what issues are they going to have in the future. Hmm. And from Mm -hmm. everything I've been able to see about Singapore and learned about its history, I can see that it's a very progressive society and a progressive country that is continuously adapting. And that's the biggest thing that I miss from European governments and, and movement is this lack of willingness to change or laws that come in, which are just insane. And that Moss in huh. Europe is a great example of that. Yeah. All mm-hmm. the anti-net neutrality stuff in the US is a great example of that. Yeah. So you have the quote-unquote older countries who kind of get stuck in this these laws that came from the 1700s and try and apply them to unlocking an iPhone in 2016. Uh And that's not any better. Whereas Singapore is always changing. It's always adapting. It's always updating. So is it perfect right now? No. Will it be in the future? Probably not. But I think it's going to get a lot closer. And it's that confidence which led us to believe that this is going to be an okay move for us in terms of the freedom of speech issues. And from everything we've heard from the lawyers who helped us do the incorporation, we think it's a safe a safe premise to operate under. We might be completely wrong, but that's the way we came <laughs> at it so far. Yeah,
0: that's fair. And one of the things we've talked about this season we're in on our show is the fact that as Westerners, sometimes we can parachute in, sometimes with the right notions even, about what makes for a good in a local situation, but that without that context, without that... Uh, history and cultural awareness, sometimes even when something is that abstract good that, yeah, we can say, look, censorship, let's maybe do less of that. That context and that direction flow matters, and they matter for the kinds of things we might evaluate in how a country is changing. So that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And we also we also like the idea that a trajectory matters. And so yeah. I think that makes makes a lot of sense if you assessing their history, think that they are going in a direction that will be potentially more free. I'm, I'm assuming that's what you're, you're, you're meaning there, that there will be positive change in the future. Absolutely. Not. Cool. So how do you expect to relate to the Singaporean government now that you're incorporated there and you're nominally or in some way under their rule, their laws?
2: You know, I, I really don't expect to at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean that in the sense of Comparatively, uh, particularly in Singapore, uh, we are such a drop in the ocean right. uh, as a business. I really don't think um, they're going to care very much. Now, if I'm proven completely wrong about that, I will eat my hat. But...
0: <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll host a follow-up episode where, where you eat your hat on air.
2: <laughs> that sounds good. But we're a non-profit organization with currently less than a million dollars in annual revenue, right? So uh, mm-hmm. as far as Singapore is concerned as a government, we're like the local corner shop that sells snacks. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. We're not an interesting thing to them. So I don't expect to to have to work with them on uh, high-level issues. Uh, at all, really. I think we'll just fit in and, uh, and go on our merry way.
0: So one of the things we were thinking about is whether you could foresee a situation in which their stance, if it weren't to change in the ways that you and we would hope it it does towards censorship and so on, uh, that it might lead them to come after you. But one of the questions I had as a as a developer who kind of thinks on these levels as well is, You're only incorporating the business there. None of the data is necessarily hosted
2: there, right? That's absolutely right. All the data will be in Amsterdam.
0: Right. So even if they did want to, the worst they could do is say, you have to shut down and you could say, okay, we reincorporate somewhere else and carry on.
2: You have nailed this so hard that I don't even need to explain any of it.
1: (laughs) We We were kind of hoping that that was the case because it seemed that for a multinational, transnational corporation, it wouldn't make sense to host everything and incorporate everything in the same place, um, especially if you're so flexible as to, you know, reincorporate in a place that you don't live.
2: So we, so- we actually changed hosts uh, last year from the UK to Amsterdam. And when we were mm. deciding on hosting location, um, the freedom of speech and historical... Um, actions or judgments uh, around freedom of speech was one of the number one criteria we selected because how we wanted our data to be secured uh, in a country which really puts an iron fence around servers and says, uh, we're going to protect these things. And historically, Amsterdam is very, very close. I think it's third in the world in terms of refusing to release anything without Mm -hmm. proper legal action so Mm -hmm. that was a very conscious decision to put all of our data there and have that be our privacy stronghold
1: Ah, so in some ways it seems then that you're separating the business and the actual incorporation so if ghosts business is the data and the blogging and all of that it seems that you're separating out the guts of the business and the incorporation
2: of it yes i think philosophically That's completely accurate. Legally, I don't think you could draw such a clear line between the two. (laughs) But I think in terms of our intention and how we're thinking about this structure, uh, that's completely right.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's not an an approach I'd thought about because I've never been running a multinational, decentralized...
2: Yeah. Well, that's the crazy thing, right? Until 2016, probably no one had. Right. And that's, that's the funny thing now that we're starting to see more and more is that before, let's say, around 2005, I'll just arbitrarily pick a year, a multinational corporation would be a team of, what, a thousand people, a few billion Mm -hmm. dollars in revenue, many Mm -hmm. legal departments who would make all of these various things work by Mm -hmm. whatever means necessary. Um, Now you have micro businesses entrepreneurs people who sell online just as a one-man band they put something on etsy and they want to make a business out of it so Mm -hmm. we have all these tiny tiny businesses and people with an income that is insignificant in the grand scheme of things uh Mm -hmm. being kind of held and subjected to the same laws and criteria that were really designed for the Googles and the Microsofts of this world. So mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. a very transitional period, and we're going to see a lot more change, and a lot more adaptation being needed, whether or not it comes is another question, but being <laughs> needed in order to support small businesses.
1: That is really interesting. So do you see a streamlining of this process? Because use it took you guys a year and you said that the process was extremely difficult and you had to run through conspiracy theorists essentially (laughs) so do you see a streamlining of this process in any way shape or form that would make it more viable for for people to do this
2: you know what your your timing on this is is perfect um because yes and i think that movement effectively started this week um so stripe just announced yeah, Stripe Atlas. Mm-hmm. So basically, $500, any person anywhere in the world can incorporate legally a U.S. Uh, business, a C-Corp, uh, get all of their accounting and tax services set up, uh, everything they need done for them, from abroad, anything. So, those, And Stripe are looking to expand this outside of the U.S. to other places which have favorable business environments that would allow people from anywhere in the world to set up an online business in a country that makes sense to set up an online business.
1: Huh. like Singapore?
2: like singapore maybe but right now if you want to raise investment there's no other country than the us you really yeah. want to be looking if you don't uh then somewhere like hong kong or singapore is much more attractive huh. mm-hmm. i imagine they will expand that significantly over the next few years but yes i think that movement will just grow and grow from now
1: This is sort of off topic, but sort of not because it relates to transnational bit. You just mentioned that America is the main place to raise money for a company. Uh, Do you see any of that shifting to other places as things like Stripe Atlas allow people to essentially run companies in places they don't live, which means that they are invested in their local community?
2: That's a really tough one. I think the question of that relates less to what the entrepreneurs want to do and more to the macro economy of startups in different countries, because Mm -hmm. how much investment is available will determine ultimately where founders go to give Mm -hmm. their business the best chance of success Uh uh, and how much investment is available is going to be determined very largely by the economic climate of how freely investment is allowed by people uh, with a high net worth. Mm -hmm. So, you're starting to see some movement on that front in Singapore. They're starting to get pretty bullish on um, providing investment schemes which make a lot of sense, both in terms of uh, taxation benefits, government grants, all kinds of stuff like that. Hmm. But it's really hard to move the needle because no matter how much money you throw at the situation, you then still have the talent shortfall. And that's the thing Mm -hmm. the Singaporean startup scene gets criticized for most is – They can throw a million dollars at a a seed stage company, but the seed stage company based in Singapore can't hire anyone um, because the talent's just not available. It's a tiny, tiny country. It's the size of New York City. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. only so many programmers who can fit in one place (laughs) and still have a country that functions. So I think that one's really hard. Uh, The U.S. has got a, a huge, huge, huge leg up with silicon valley uh, and silicon beach as i hear they're now referring to la um
1: <laughs> yeah they'll do anything to make la sound better than it actually is
0: <laughs> well with all apologies to any actual listeners we have in la i'm not apologizing
2: <laughs> you know what i was in la last year i actually really enjoyed myself
1: yeah you haven't gone back since <laughs> <laughs> So I do want to I do want to one more thing on this before we move into the next section with the you know, the shortfall of distinctly localized talent that you mentioned, but with this ability to be a transnational corporation, do you think that there will be or that there can be a sort of. In sourcing, we might call it, uh, trying to hire somebody from the United States to work in a Singaporean startup or something along those lines to kind of take advantage of the transnational abilities that we have now?
2: Oh, maybe, yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't apply to us, obviously. Our our whole company is is remote, so... um, one of the, the most common questions I got when we announced that we'd be moving there is, OK, so you're going to open an office in Singapore now. That's great. And I said, uh, no, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> we don't. We don't have an office anywhere. Um, right. I'm certainly not planning on having one now. Yeah. Um,
1: I think of it more as an as an abstract, like as with Singapore, as an example of the general concept
2: yeah maybe i I guess it depends how far remote work goes can you Can you try and get people to relocate to Singapore from the u s well given enough time and money and capital maybe <laughs> but then it becomes a question of culture. Do people want to have a life there? Do they want to move there? Is there stuff for them there beyond the job, which is going to be interesting and worthwhile uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of community and network? Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Well, I'm also thinking thinking about teleworking, like the sort of remote work that your company does. Do you think that we'll start seeing companies placed in far-off places that have a bunch of workers in the U.S. because that's where all the people are spread out?
2: Sure, absolutely. I mean, 85% of our customers are in the U.S., and uh, we have two staff in the U.S., and we're planning uh, probably to build out a lot more of our, our team uh, in inside the United States just because that is the largest area where we have customers and also mm-hmm. developers with a skill set that we're kind of looking for. Right. So mm-hmm. it's great not to be constrained to the U.S., but it's also great to have access to it. But, yeah, I, that trend, I think, is... Uh, undeniable at this point. I think it's just going to keep going. I seem to be saying that a lot, though. I'm very conscious of this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're you're talking to two general optimists in, uh, in in the sense of of technology moving forward. So we uh, so so we hope, as well as you, that technology keeps moving forward and making the uh, the working situations of people more more uh, enjoyable in some sense, but also flexible and feasible
2: yeah so absolutely
0: so then, kind of turning into the sort of the second part of the things we wanted to talk about a little bit, there's this broad discussion out there, not necessarily I mean I haven't heard anyone critique ghost specifically in this way, and I don't think we have any intent to, but we're curious what what your thoughts are and anything any discussions you guys may have had internally about this kind of sort of expatriate reincorporation as quote-unquote business tourism and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or sort of a neutral thing and just to what extent that factored in or is a point of discussion for you
1: yeah and business tourism as kind of an extension of cultural tourism which is something that is critiqued often
2: yeah um so i'm i'm super bullish on this both for personal reasons as well as business reasons um so just a tiny bit of context uh i'm Half English, half Irish. I was born in Scotland, but I grew up in Holland for 10 years. My first language was Dutch, and I then spent the four years of my life in the Philippines for about seven and a half years. I now live in Egypt, but for the last two years before that, I lived in Austria. And for the two years before that, uh, I was just kind of permanently on the road. So I haven't lived in a single house for longer than 18 months in about a decade. So when you say to me, John, where are you from? If I don't want to have a long discussion, I'll just say England. Um, Mm. And if Mm -hmm. I want to have a longer discussion, um, I'll usually say, I have no idea, you saw me, because I honestly don't know. So from a personal point of view, I don't feel like I belong anywhere in terms of selecting Mm. a government to be patriotic to. Uh And from a business point of view, I think, how come all governments are so bullish on capitalism when it relates to open markets? but they're not so bullish on capitalism when it means that governments might have to compete with each other for people's <laughs> business.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Because yeah.
2: what we're really talking about is we're moving to Singapore because it's a better business environment than the UK. So yep. Singapore is like a hosting company for businesses. And it seems to be kind of like <laughs> the Amazon web services compared to the UK's one on one. That makes perfect sense. When you frame it like that, A, I think it's a great thing. I think governments should have to compete with each other to keep up. Um, They should have to do better to keep people uh, doing business in their economies and contributing to their GDP. I think that's a great thing for society and capitalism in general. Mm. And then outside of that, at a a micro level, it just makes sense. It makes sense for us as a nonprofit trying to do the most we can with the smallest budget that we have. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm... I'm really, I see this one as very black and white, and I'm very in favor of it. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure there are some people that completely disagree and have a whole <laughs> host of reasons, which are completely valid, but for us, yeah. um, I like this a lot. I think it's a good thing for the world as a whole. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well, and one of the things I I hear you saying there, you know, one of our questions was going to be whether you have any concerns about using or being used, so to speak, and we can come around to that. But one of the things that Stephen and I were talking about as we thought about this ahead of time is that it makes a difference what the, the country you're talking about wants. If you're Singapore and you want to be a host for businesses, rather than being someplace that businesses are sort of... Trying quietly to take advantage of that makes a pretty big difference. Absolutely. You know, if you're a developing world country where perhaps people are being taken advantage of that, that critique of quote unquote business tourism starts to look a lot more substantive then perhaps where Singapore saying, hey, we have a light regulatory burden and a relatively straightforward tax burden, come build your business here because it'll be useful to you and useful to us. And it's literally a win win. And you're not taking advantage of them, you're helping them in a way that they're expressly saying, hey, this is good for both of us, come do it.
2: That's absolutely right. And that's such a key difference. When we were looking at offshore options, the, the other one that came up as the most economically efficient, even way beyond Singapore, uh, was going to be the British Virgin Islands. Mm. Um, and legally, it makes perfect sense. You, you yeah. put a company in the BVI. It's, nobody can do anything or ask for anything of a company in the BVI. So it's really easy to manage as a founder that doesn't want to have to deal with stuff. <laughs> um, and then you take all your payments through a U.S. subsidiary. Now, that's kind of complicated to set up which is one consideration, and it costs quite a lot to keep that structure running. But the other one is, if you say we're moving to the BBI, without a lot of context and a lot of discussions like this, the kind of inclination people have generally is, oh, so you just want to hide a bunch of money offshore, right. which isn't, <laughs> isn't kind of the best image to go with right off the bat. So that was one of the, the reasons we didn't select a country like BVI right off the bat, because mm. Singapore is clearly not saying there are a bunch of loopholes here you can exploit. They're, they're saying, listen, we are a tiny country. Our land mass is zero. And we Mm -hmm. have no exports we can have from this country. So Singapore historically has always made itself very, very attractive for trading. Um, Ah. So when it first became independent, it was a shipping port. And it had the second largest shipping port in the world after Amsterdam. And that's where almost all of its money came from. And then as technology has evolved and other things have evolved, Singapore has made itself very, very attractive for international trade, which is why you see um, most hosting companies have uh, a CDN outpost here, whether that's AWS Mm -hmm. or Cloudflare. And you also see most of Asia-Pacific's stock trading running through Singapore now as well as Hong Kong. Um, And that's because they continuously realize that the only way Singapore's economy can function is through external sources. So by making themselves a very attractive provider for other people to do business with, that's how their economy effectively runs. And I love that. I think... That's awesome. Yeah. I think if more countries operated like that, maybe we'd have a better world economy.
1: So instead of a, a, a using sort of relationship, you see it as kind of an open for business sort of relationship.
2: Absolutely right.
1: That is really fascinating because that is not what we kind of read out of the post. Um, not that we, we didn't read, not that we read it negatively, but that that's a really interesting sort of perspective that... Based on Chris and I's background, even though now I can see from your post that you do have some of that written into the
2: post, we just didn't get that out of it. Oh, so I'm glad we could have this chat and kind yes, of indeed. bring some of these things up.
1: Yeah. So the last thing, and you touched on this a little bit with why you wouldn't go to the British Virgin Islands. Um, is the perspective of what people will think about moving anywhere transnationally? Obviously, BVI does have a bad reputation, as well as the Cayman Islands in America. That's kind of the <laughs> the, the, the tax shell here. Yeah. What do you think? people will do and or what has been the response of your user base or people outside your user base even to this this post and to this announcement that you are becoming multinational transnational moving to singapore
2: yeah i think i think it's a great one um obviously when you're an established company and you move then it draws way more attention to it right so Mm -hmm. i think if if we just set up in singapore from day one and said well, John lives in Egypt and obviously isn't going to incorporate in Egypt. And uh, <laughs> that's one half of Ghost. So he set up in Singapore. Everyone will go, oh, yeah, that seems to make some degree of sense. I can see how that works. But when you do something like move from a <laughs> very visible first world country to a developing nation, where and you say the developing nation is better, then people tend to ask all kinds of questions. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we we definitely are getting a lot of attention as a result of the move. And I think all the same issues would exist, but a lot less people would care about them if we just started there from the first place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing to look at. I'm also interested to see how well Ghost does in Singapore over time, um, and that will take a couple of years, and Mm -hmm. if and how that influences any other businesses. So if it works out really well for us, can we be a positive role model to other online businesses which are distributed? Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work out well for us, then is that going to instill any other positive change um, in Mm. the global kind of internet economy? Um, Maybe. I don't know. But I'm really excited to kind of explore the the opportunity of optimism, I think. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah, that is all really, really fascinating. And we just like to thank you again for coming on the show and talking about this with us. Uh this is a, a much more interesting episode than the so one that we more. almost ran. <laughs> uh before we uh before we were able to sit down and, and have this discussion. And I think this is actually a really, really interesting fit with how we think about technology in general and winning slowly. Yeah. So and
0: though you couldn't have known it unless you went and listened to our back catalog for the last six episodes you've actually <laughs> kind of delightfully picked up on themes we've been hitting on this whole year so far of talking about some of these very same trends and talking about how we think about relating to developing economies and talking about the economies of large cities versus larger countries yeah. and all of these things so it's been a delight chatting with you
2: thank you i I think the the last thing that's important to say if you'll allow me one final word is oh, yes, oh yeah go for it with an issue as contentious as something like moving a business abroad um, and a discussion like the one we've been having it's very easy to assume intent and yeah. to pick holes in why people might have done things or all the reasons why it's wrong um, and what you have to remember particularly as an entrepreneur or a business owner is Everyone is always working with the information that's available to them. And that information may not be perfect. It may not be complete. Of course, I have doubts about everything we've been doing and whether it's the right thing, but that's not exclusive to Singapore. That comes down to our (laughs) business, our pricing, our customers, our products. And we're doing the best that we can with the information we have uh, right now. And if it turns out to be wrong, we'll do something different. But Mm -hmm. I think being open-minded towards the idea of trying new things and changing them if they don't work, uh, is something that just runs very, very core to our culture. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that's worth worth spending time on. Yeah,
0: and I really appreciate your your point there about giving people sort of the benefit of the doubt, having a an attitude of charity toward people that says, you know, people are doing the best they can. And yes, there are exceptions to that, but that says – Look and see what the best explanation for a company or a person 's behavior might be, and yeah sometimes they 'll disappoint you but but start there, and if you don 't understand, well, ask them. they
1: might just give you an answer <laughs> We also really appreciate the uh, the insight that this isn 't the concerns you have aren 't uh, significant only to Singapore but to everywhere else it 's yeah. just spreading the decision-making process over a wider geographical area (laughs) absolutely right so that's really really helpful to think about well thank you again and uh we hope that uh someday we'll have you on the show again to talk about how this was a raging success
2: (laughs) i hope so too thanks so much for having me guys
0: that was a really fantastic interview. We we sent him some questions, but we didn't really prompt him to hit on themes we've been hitting on all season. He just did that unprompted. It was kind of awesome.
1: Yeah, it was really really awesome and uh we we can't say it better ourselves that's winning slowly in action we're hoping that this will improve based on the information that we have and the trajectory that we see based on the technology and the culture and the ethics involved with this we think it's a good decision and therefore we're going to move forward
0: and if we get it wrong we'll adapt and learn from it and try to help other people that's, that's pretty much slowly
1: in a nutshell, right That's there. pretty much it. Yeah, we can't can't really ask for companies to do any better than that, and no. to be transparent about it, and yep. put up blog posts, and come talk to lowly podcasters, and yep. so I think that uh, Ghost gets to be our second winning Slowly Hall of Fame member. Dan Price of Gravity Payments.
0: True that. So there you go. And pro tip for other podcasters, if you want to talk about something and it's not a multinational mega corporation, even if it is a multinational something or other, <laughs>
1: just email them. You
0: might get a response. You might get them on
1: your show. And it might be a great episode. So the music at the beginning of the episode, and we didn't plan this, is called A Better Life by Super Small. <laughs> we used it with we used it with permission don't use it without permission please
0: thanks to andrew fallows and jeremy w sherman for sponsoring the show this month
1: if you'd like to sponsor the show you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give a one-off at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly
0: 10 of our support still and always goes to the internet archive so that when things disappear off the interwebs there's
1: a backup If you like the show, please rate and review us in iTunes, recommend us in your favorite podcast app directory, or just tell a friend. You
0: can find show notes for this episode with links to the things we and John talked about, the music, and everything else at winningslowly.org
1: slash 4.08. And last but not least, we love hearing from you. Please send us your thoughts on Twitter at winningslowly on our Facebook page or via email at hello at winningslowly.org. And hi to all of you new ghost listeners we hope Woo-hoo. that you'll uh, keep listening
0: <laughs> and as always to all of you thank you for listening No, but seriously, that was the best. (laughs)